my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Financial Heresy, where we discuss how money works so that you can make more, keep more, and give more. My name is Joe Brown, and today we are talking about the emergence of central bank digital currencies. CBDCs have been getting uh, a lot of news lately as a few things have been going on. Number one, we have Nigeria, their uh, uh, cryptocurrency um, it, their, their central bank digital currency experiment has failed. They were one of the uh, Petri dishes, if you will, uh, that the global elites were watching, hopefully, to see if we could get a, uh, a successful CBDC rolling in a country where the people like digital currencies. In uh, Nigeria, they have one of the highest adoption rates of Bitcoin in the world. I think they're ranked number 10 or 11. Um, And uh, so the government there tried to roll out a CBDC and it utterly failed. The people rejected it. Uh, Later on, we had uh, uh, Christine Lagarde come out and make a speech. They're about halfway through their research period, their two-year research period on CBDCs. And so she came out giving kind of an update and saying, here's what we're thinking in terms of the the proposed legislation that will be coming out later on what kind of uh, things we will be pushing for in terms of uh, uh, the, the features of the CBDC and its privacy, its security and uh, the things that will allow people to use it for won't allow people to use it for. So in light of all this, we are seeing more and more of a move towards CBDCs globally. Uh, This is uh, logical that this is where we will be headed, at least in some countries, given the uh, the nature of how things evolve, the escalation of power uh, regarding money. And so we need to go through here to really uh, take this thing apart. 
and understand what are CBDCs, how do they differ from other forms of money, why, why it will be so vastly different than the financial system that we have today, and uh, why it is so important that this is where we draw the line in the sand and say no, none of us will, none of us will cross that line, um, and do not let uh, let a foothold, uh, let them take a foothold here with CBDCs. So, in order to uh, in order to do this, we've got to describe uh, the the technology at the at the at the foundation of a CBDC. A CBDC is just strictly ledger money. And the best way to uh, visualize this is a billboard and an Excel spreadsheet. So let's talk about the billboard first. Imagine a giant magical billboard. And on this billboard, it's it's a magic billboard. So everybody in the world can see this billboard at any time. And on this billboard, it has the information about every single account that exists with money in it. Let's just say every bank account. And it also has the list of transactions, all the transactions that have ever taken place between all the bank accounts back to the very first transaction. This is a ledger. Ledger just means list. So this would be uh, an example of a public ledger because it's a magic billboard that literally everybody can see. Now, in this example, it would be impossible to counterfeit money because somebody would, you know, sneak up to this billboard, write up their own account number and change the amount of money in their account. Well, then everybody would look at that and see, well, no, we watched you change this. Number one. Number two, uh, we can see that the money that you have in your account, we can see that it didn't come from anybody else's account. There's a a transaction history list for everybody and you don't have one. So everybody would be able to immediately tell this was a fraudulent uh, amount of money and we could just disregard it or delete it or cancel it or change it back. Um, This is uh, a way of describing kind of how Bitcoin works. And so another way to uh, visualize this is an Excel spreadsheet. Everybody's used Excel. Uh, In an Excel spreadsheet, you have the ability to share the link, uh, the Excel link. And so you can share it with people. So you can have multiple people all view, being able to view the Excel spreadsheet and uh, potentially edit the spreadsheet as well. So let's say you uh, you have this Excel spreadsheet and you have a bunch of uh, a bunch of rows that all have account numbers. And then you have, you know, the next column over has how much money is in that account. And then every column over from there shows every transaction that has taken place. So where all that money came from. So I've got a hundred bucks and I got that hundred bucks from my job and they got that hundred bucks from a product that they sold. And then, you know, so on and so forth, all the way back to the very, very first transaction. So there's a complete transaction history list, account list with all the money in it. Again, same exact thing here. This is a public ledger. Anybody who has the link can view this and anybody can uh, propose a change or make an edit. And then if an edit happens, there's an edit history list. We can all look and say, no, 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 that was fraudulent. We're going to change that back. And so it's uh, this is an example of public ledger money. It's just software. Uh, there's there's nothing there behind it. There's no, uh, you know, it's not redeemable for anything. This is simply just a list of who has how much money and where that money came from. Now, there are many different ways, rules that you could apply to a money system like this. You could apply a rule to this and say, hey, the total amount of money that can exist on this spreadsheet is $21 million. And you could say it has to be split up that, you know, there's only $21 million that exist on this spreadsheet. And so no matter how many people join the spreadsheet, and have accounts on here, uh, there, you know, the $21 million has to get split up and divided, you know, among these people. 
And so you might say, okay, well, how do I get some of that money then? Well, you could go to somebody on the spreadsheet and say, hey, you've got some dollars on this spreadsheet and I want some. What would you like uh, in return for some of those dollars? And they might say, why don't you work for me for a day? And then you would say, sure. And then you give me, you know, $100. And so they say, okay, so you work for them for a day. And then we go to the spreadsheet and I create an account on the spreadsheet and you transfer $100 from your cell on the spreadsheet to mine. And it's verified. Everybody sees it take place and sees, okay, yeah, uh, he decided to give him $100. Um, and so now that's recorded. And now that's on that uh, public spreadsheet that everybody looks at and says, okay, yep, we agree this transaction happened. So now that $100 is has now been transferred. Now, this is really a description of how Bitcoin works. There are other forms of cryptocurrencies out there, obviously, that uh, that all work a little bit differently. You know, maybe some of them, they have a team of people who can decide how many there are. So instead of being 21 million, there's a team of people deciding, okay, we're going to have, you know, more of them or less of them, depending on what goes on, uh, how many people are using the spreadsheet. Um, and there are certain uh, uh, other cryptocurrencies that have different rules on who can view the spreadsheet, uh, who can edit the spreadsheet, um, what uh, what kind of uh, computing requirements are required for accessing. So all sorts of different rules uh, as a way of uh, uh, accessing and using this ledger money. And so when you hear blockchain, when you hear cryptocurrency, when you hear Bitcoin, CBDC, these are all variations of ledger money. It's just a list describing who has what money. The differences between them are uh, how difficult is it to change uh, the amount of money in somebody's account? Um, how difficult is it to see uh, how much money is in each account? What type of information is associated with each account? Is it somebody's name? Is it just an account number? Is it their entire financial history? Is it absolutely nothing? So there's all sorts of variations across all these questions that we're discussing here. But ultimately, at the base layer, they're all still ledger money. So the ones that I've been describing so far has been public ledger money. If we move on to the uh, kind of the other extreme, we get to private ledger money. And a private ledger is just like it sounds. Instead of everybody in the world having access to see this magic billboard, only a select few, the, usually the creators of the currency, the cryptocurrency, have access to see the accounts. Now, if that's where it stopped, you'd say, well, this seems a little bit shady, but as long as that's where it stops, then I don't really see a problem there. If everybody has the ability to see it, um, or only one person has the ability to see it, it makes no really makes no inherent difference if all the other rules are the same. Now, where it comes down to the real difference, the real rub there is trust. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. 
And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Because if only one person can see it versus everybody could see it, then you have to ask the question, why? (laughs) Why make it so that only one person can see it if everything else is identical? And the answer is, well, obviously everything else is not identical. And so what are some of the other differences that make this private so that only a few people can see it? Well, number one is the information associated with the accounts. So with something like Bitcoin, the information associated with the account is simply an account number. Um, and so this is called like pseudonymous. It's not anonymous. This is called pseudonymous, which means that it's like a pseudonym. It's like, a, you know, you, when, if you write a book, but you don't want to write it under your own name, you write it under a pen name that's called a pseudonym. So you have uh, somebody, a different name out there. So when everybody looks at that, they think, oh, John Smith wrote this book, but it was actually uh, Phil uh, Erickson. Um, and he just didn't want to put out his his real name. And so everybody looks at the pen name, that pseudonym instead of the real name. But there is a connection there. And if somebody digs deep enough, they could find who the who the real author is behind that pen name. It's the same thing with a pseudonymous cryptocurrency where there's just an account number out there. That's true. That's the only publicly facing information. But if you have access to, you know, a, a little, you know, some hacker skills, if you're the FBI, the CIA, you can get in, you can see somebody's IP address. If you can hack into some different things like Google drives, where people store their access to their crypto wallets, you can find out the information on who owns the accounts. 
With uh, with a private ledger money, though, it's going to be very different because it's private. You don't have to worry about everybody in the world seeing private information because uh, uh, regardless of what information is on is associated with the account, uh, it's going to be private. It's not going to be public. And so uh, these private ledger monies, cryptocurrencies, CBDCs, they take all the information. If you want to have an account there, you have to give them your name, your address, your date of birth, your social security number, your net worth, your income, your financial history, literally everything about you is known. Now, you might think this is crazy, but every single one of us does this, has this, uh, has many of these types of accounts. These are called bank accounts and brokerage accounts and any normal financial institution where you have an account there, they have to follow the laws that are called KYC, know your customer, anti-money laundering laws, the Patriot Act. These are all laws and regulations that require financial institutions to gather all the information about you in order to open up an account for you. Why? Well, power, control. The government wants to be able to make sure they know who is doing what where. And so all these banks have to collect all this information. And so they have they they have all this information. A private ledger money is going to be at least that much information. Because since it's private, they don't have to worry about the public seeing it. Like you can't log into your Bank of America account and see my Bank of America information. And so uh, they don't have to worry about uh, other people having access to this. They're the only ones that have access to this. Now, they want to make sure that they know, hey, this guy has two accounts or this guy only has one account. They want to make sure that they know who has what account. So that's why they get all your information to make sure there's no duplication and things like that. So the other reason why it's uh, why it's private um, is because of control. Now, we talked about uh, the public ledger money like Bitcoin, how nobody can go in and just decide to create, you know, another million Bitcoin, make it go from 21 million Bitcoins to 22 million Bitcoins. Um, and so it's important to have that type of cryptocurrency be public so that everybody can verify, yes, there are still only 21 million. There's a 21 million cap. Um, with a private cryptocurrency like a CBDC, uh, it is private because only the people who are in control of it have access to see the total supply. And so the control is where this comes from, where uh, you don't want people to be able to see what is going on in terms of the total supply, the transactions that are taking place, uh, and any changes to that that you might need to make as a controlling entity. Uh, because if people know about it, they might not uh, agree with it. They might not like it. They might not want to keep on using it, whatever, whatever it might be. And so those are the reasons to have uh, your cryptocurrency be private. Now, we have to discuss the slow rollout because in, in reality, if the government came out tomorrow, United States government, and said, hey, we're starting a central bank digital currency. Your paper cash is now worthless. You have 24 hours to turn it in for the equivalent amount in the new CBDC. Your digital dollars that are currently in your bank accounts are worthless. Uh, within the next 24 hours, your bank will be automatically rolled up and signed up for the new CBDC, and your dollars will be converted into the new CBDC. Um, if they've tried to do this all at once, guess what? <laughs> guess what the result would be? 
all out panic and rejection. It would just not work. Everybody would be so it would be so in your face about the changes. People would be wondering, okay, well, new money, what does that mean? What are all the changes? What are all the differences? And then they'd realize how tyrannical the CBDCs look and they would just they would reject it. It would be an utter failure um, in in, uh, rolling it out. So you've got to boil a frog slowly. You've got to do this in very small steps and stages. Why do you think that the United States government, the Federal Reserve, the European Union, all these countries around the world, they have a two-year research period. Why do you think they need a two-year research period? Well, number one, it's because they're incompetent. (laughs) And so they've got to study this stuff to learn how the technology works so that if they ever try and do it, they at least have a little bit of an idea of what they're doing. So it takes them a long time to learn things. These guys are not the brightest, uh, the sharpest tools in the shed. So that's number one. But number two, it's because they have to get the public used to hearing about the government talk about CBDCs, hearing their central banks discuss, hey, if we were to do a CBDC, here's the things we're thinking about. What does the public think about this? So they have to get people slowly used to and familiar with hearing about CBDCs and hearing CBDCs get talked about, digital money get talked about. Um now we have to side note here. I'm, I've said digital money a few times and there are many people who think, okay, well, I, I really don't understand the difference because right now my dollars are digital. I transfer digital dollars from my digital bank account. I open up my app, transfer them over to my digital brokerage account, use them to buy digital shares of stocks. It's all digital. So what is the difference? So we've discussed how ledger money works. That's different than how money works today. And I do have to refer you back to the first three episodes of this podcast, go through the entire history of monetary systems so that you can understand, okay, there's commodity money. And then from there, we evolved into commodity backed paper. And then from there, we scaled up the commodity backed paper from local banks to central banks to a global bank and how we then uh, evolved to a pure fiat system from there. And the banking system works on these fractional reserves of action, you know, of fiat of nothingness. And so I do want you to go back and listen to those first three episodes if you haven't already, because that explains how the banking system works. It's not a ledger system. It's a debt based system. And it's a debt-based system uh, from, you know, the legacy rules and uh, operations and uh, mechanics of the commodity-backed paper system, even though there's no commodity backing it anymore. And so we do have this uh, frail, fragile, archaic system uh, being held, you know, of, uh, you know, it's like a Jenga tower being held together with bubblegum and scotch tape um, where they keep on taking pieces from the bottom and putting them on top. And it's uh, very fragile, uh, about to fall over um, because they're trying to shoehorn all these new policies into a system built for uh, restraint on spending. Really, that's the uh, uh, that's that's where the rub is. They're trying to cause unlimited spending to happen on a system that is built and has uh, mechanics left over from a system that actually has a restraint on spending. So uh, that is the difference. So it has nothing to do with whether it's digital or not. The money's digital today. That's that has nothing to to do with anything. Really, the main change is that you would have one ledger of all the accounts and all the money held at the central bank. 
the central ledger, the central bank digital currency. Right now, you've got your money with a bank and that bank has its own ledger. Um, and then at the end of the day, the bank says, okay, you spent this much money and it went to this bank and that bank says, okay, yeah. And we owe you some money from the people who spent money here over to there. And they all, you know, trade their cash with each other at the end of the day and settle out each other's accounts. Um, instead of all of that complex system taking place, you just centralize it and you have one big list and then everything can settle instantly. All the transactions happen in-house and the central bank just says, okay, yes, this account moved money to this account and it happens all in-house with the central bank. Um, And since they have it all in-house, they can can do some things we're going to talk about here. So they'll slow, slowly roll it out. They can't do it immediately. They can't do it uh, all at once. Otherwise, people would reject it. So they have to get people used to it. After talking about it for two years, they'll say, OK, we're going to pilot test this. Uh, we're going to do a, a, a test run for for this central bank digital currency. Um, and we're just going to use it for internal payments. So the central bank might roll it out between the central bank and other banks. Um, And they'll say, we're going to slowly transition because they've got to test these things. They've got to make sure that they work. They've got to, you know, troubleshoot and find bugs. The other thing they might do then is roll it out to the government and say, "Okay, government here, you have access to this now instead of you going through the traditional banking system and what you've been doing so far for all internal government, federal government payments. We're going to give you accounts directly with the Federal Reserve, with the CBDC. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll expand the program that way. So with the government, so internal government payments back and forth to different areas will all be a part of this new system. And then after that is done successfully for a year, two years. So keep in mind from today, we're about four to six years down the road. At that point, then they say, okay, well, now we're going to slowly start rolling this out to individuals as well. So guess what? You want to get your social security check. Now you have the ability to do it with the CBDC. We're not going to force you, but you'll get it faster. And uh, the maybe let's say the inflation adjustments happen better or to a better degree or, um, you know, there'll be some sort of incentive, some sort of bonus. And then they'll say, OK, well, if you want to get your tax refund, you've got to open up for a you know a, your central bank digital currency wallet. And they'll slowly roll it out little by little and they'll give incentives along the way. And next time there's a crisis, they'll say, OK, well, we want to give people a thousand bucks. But last time there were issues with the IRS processing the checks, there was duplication. So we're we're going to only give it out if everybody signs up for a wallet. So if you don't sign up for a wallet with the CBDC, well, then you don't get your $1,000 um, stimulus check. So they'll slowly roll this out little by little. I do not see any way that they successfully do this all at once. Now, here's here's where people will uh, will 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 fall for it. Here's how people will just say, yeah, I'll, I'll sign up for that because when they uh, when they give the next stimulus check, they're going to say, hey, look, last time we gave these checks, people went and they bought stocks. They bought Nikola. They bought Robinhood. They bought AMC and they caused all these bubbles. And then people took their money and they went out and they hoarded toilet paper and they bought up a bunch of stuff and caused all these supply chain disruptions. So they'll say, hey, look, not only do you get your money faster if you get the, get it through the CBDC, but this time we can make sure that none of that bad stuff happens. Yes, we know you need your uh, your thousand bucks to buy food, to pay your rent, 
to pay your uh, your mortgage, your car loan, your gas, whatever. But we want to make sure that there's no uh, there's no people out there abusing the system and using it to buy gold, using it to buy Bitcoin, using it to buy stocks and causing bubbles. So we're going to put a thousand bucks in everybody's account, but it's got limitations on it. It can't be transferred to a brokerage account. It can't be used to buy things from businesses registered as specific types of business. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. And so there will be some checks and balances. And don't worry, we up here at the Federal Reserve, we know how the economy works best. And so we've got your back. We're going to make sure that this time we don't cause inflation and supply chain disruptions when we give everybody their stimulus checks. Um, now, when whenever you have intervention on a on a complex system um, where you have uh, uh, artificial action imposed on it from the outside, you are going to have uh, second and third order effects that are unanticipated. That's that's the nature of how a complex system works is that you cannot anticipate ahead of time the results two or three or four or five steps down the road from an action because the uh, individual interactions of the participants in the complex system um, are uh, the, the math scales up so quickly and exponentially that it's unpredictable without actually going through it. A um, little bit of tangent, but if you've ever read uh, Stephen Wolfram's Theory of Everything, 
goes through and shows how simple inputs, uh, simple equations um, can produce very complex structures. And uh, it's to the point where there, there, it is not possible to predict ahead of time what the output, the complex structure that's output on the other side will be um, without actually going through all the steps of uh, recurring the uh, equation over and over again. And so that's how complex systems work. They are inherently unpredictable. It is not possible to predict in advance what those uh, outcomes will be without actually going through the steps. And there is no comp- there is no system more complex than the economy because the economy is literally all of the interactions and reactions of every person and participant who are all making choices based off of subjective values and subjective wants that are sometimes rational and sometimes irrational all day long and changing their own uh, parameters for how those decisions are made. And so (laughs) when you try and take a system like that and think that you can cause certain outcomes to happen by, uh, changing a few inputs here and there, like interest rates or uh, the size of your balance sheet. It's just not only is it lunacy, but it's um, the height of narcissism. So when we see when we see how that uh, how that takes place, we know that the consequences then will more than likely be negative um, rather than positive, because it's not it's not random when you when you look at um When you look at a forest and you say, okay, well, we like these, you know, these trees. So we're going to make sure that there's no fires so that they, these trees don't burn down. Well, then you make sure that there's no small fires and then the dead wood uh, builds up. And then eventually a fire starts that you can't stop and burns down everything um, versus allowing uh, small natural things to, to take place along with the way that it was supposed to be. So it's the same thing with intervention in an economy. So you you slowly intervene little by little like they did since the 90s where they lowered interest rates um, uh, in when the dot-com bubble burst. They intervened a little bit to rescue the economy. And then that planted the seeds for the next crisis, the housing crisis. And when that came along, it wasn't enough to just lower interest rates. They also had to bail out the banks. And then that sowed the seeds for the next crisis. And the next crisis that came along, it wasn't enough to just bail out the banks and lower interest rates. They also had to bail out every individual, allow people to stop paying their mortgages, give a bunch of money to the government, bail out every corporation, bail out employers, bail out employees, lower interest rates, start buying assets. It was unbelievable the uh, increase in intervention that was necessary that time. And that is how things happen. Every time uh, you do that, then you sow the seeds for a greater crisis later on that will require exponentially more intervention. And that is what the CBDC is for. And they'll say, hey, we're going to make sure that Next, we're going to give everybody $1,000 a month, their universal basic income that we pilot tested last time through the CBDC. And we're going to prevent people from spending it on what we think they should not be spending it on. But the problem is then you're just sowing the seeds for an even greater crisis down the road. And eventually it's like this cosmic game of whack-a-mole where you have to continue to create new laws and stop new things from taking place and uh, put new restrictions on how people can spend their money and then give people 
more money to be spending on the other things that started crashing that you didn't realize would crash as a result of not letting them spend money in other places. And that is why these systems are just doomed uh, for failure from the start. Um, but before we get there on why they're doomed to die, uh, we have to understand first how this devolves into, uh, into pure tyranny, because at the end of the day, this money is programmable. It is a software. It is a ledger. And with a public ledger, everybody can see it. And so it doesn't matter if it's programmable because everybody agrees on what the rules are for the network, for the money. When it's private, only a few people have access to this and they get to decide. So it's, You've heard the phrase power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Um, A central bank digital currency, while that power may not be used, does grant the central bank with unlimited power, uh, as much power as humanly possible as can exist over an economy. That is the way that it works because everything that happens is a transaction, 50% of everything that happens in the economy is money. You trade money for something. You trade something for money every single time. And so it's not like 100 years ago when if you wanted full-blown communism and full-blown top-down centralized control over an economy and central planning of a system, you don't need all the laws and all the regulations and all the bureaucracy and the dictators to come in and clamp down with uh, with the military and say, we're sending all the wheat over here. We're making the cost of water this. We're sending all the oil over here. We're putting you in charge of steel, whatever. You don't have to do all of that. All you have to do is control the money because if 50% of everything is money, then you control the money. You control everything. And so you have the ability then to control the flow of resources across the system by just changing the rules on the money. You don't have to change the rules on the stuff, just the money. So when we see, uh, when we see this, this is how it works out in, uh, in practice. Everybody then, everybody gets a central bank digital currency wallet, whether it's because the next crisis and they're giving stimmy checks out through it or whatever it is, we fast forward, everybody has their account. Everybody gets their thousand bucks, let's say, from their stimmy check. Well, you can only spend it at other central bank digital currency wallets. So you go to a business like a gas station and they say, well, no, you can't spend CBDC money here because we don't have a CBDC wallet. Well, guess what? That business doesn't get any of those dollars then. So businesses will be quick to sign up because they want to make sure they get their piece of the consumer who's buying with those new dollars. So all businesses will sign up and then eventually the government will say, well, no, you cannot actually be a legal business without having a central bank digital currency wallet, because that's how we're going to collect taxes and pay tax refunds. So if you want to legally be a business, you must have a central bank digital currency wallet. And then they'll say, well, that's the only way businesses are allowed to accept payment. Because there are tax cheaters out there and because uh, there are uh, people funding terrorists out there and there are people laundering money. So we're going to eventually we're going to allow people to start with an incentive at first. But eventually we're going to get to the point where if you want to be an individual and buy and sell, and if you want to be a business and buy and sell and you want to be legal, you have to have an account, a central bank digital currency account. All that is well and good until you realize what they can do with it at that point. 
They're the only ones that can see it. They're the only ones that can control it. So crisis comes along and they say everybody needs an extra thousand dollars a month in purchasing power, but they don't want you to spend it on toilet paper. So you go to buy toilet paper. Your card will not work if you try and buy two rolls of toilet paper or two bundles, two uh, packages. Maybe three is the limit. So it stops at you at four. Maybe they say, hey, there are gas hoarders out there causing gas shortages and gas prices to skyrocket. So after you spent $400 this month on gas, you will not be able to spend any more money at a gas station. And they'll know because the gas station has an account with them. So they can stop those transactions from taking place. Let's say there's some sort of recession and prices are collapsing and they want to make sure that there's no deflation in goods and services. Uh, They're going to give everybody, let's say, 2000 bucks and they're going to say, hey, look, You've got to spend it in the next 30 days or it expires. It's just like a gift card that expires. So everybody's forced then to go out and spend this money and prices get bid back up. There's probably going to be some shortages of stuff as a result. And uh, prices stop falling because they gave everybody money and people didn't have the ability to go buy anything with it. But let's say the things that were allowed like food, uh, rent, whatever it is. Let's say they uh, see a bubble forming in stocks. Well, then they can say, okay, no more buying is allowed on this stock until, uh, you know, next month buys are are removed. Um, Or let's say they see uh, the stock market is falling quickly and they say, hey, there's speculators out there, short sellers trying to push the market down and collapse our markets. We're going to ban shorting for a while. You see how quickly this devolves into tyranny? They can control what types of transactions take place with a few strokes of the key. You can also say, hey, we know all of the information about everybody with accounts. And so we want to uh, help out with equality, racial equality. So you are only for the next month, we're going to give everybody a thousand bucks and you are only allowed to spend money for groceries at stores with a certain percentage of minority employees or owned by minorities. Um, So you can see very quickly how dangerous this could be by shutting off the spigot to certain people, certain ethnic groups because of their, let's say their gender orientation or even more dangerous, their political orientation. If the system can only survive with the right people in charge, it is doomed to fail because someday the wrong person will be in charge. Just like Warren Buffett says, I buy companies that a moron could run because someday a moron will. (laughs) Naval Ravikant said the test of a good system is one that you design and then you put your enemy in charge of it for 10 years. And if it can still work, it's a good system. If we allow something like a central bank digital currency to exist, the very ability for it to be used for tyranny, the sheer scale of power built into a tool like a CBDC means that it will attract the most power hungry people in the world to try and wield it for their own advantage. The existence of that power will attract the people who are the last people we would ever want to wield it because the people who we would want to yield it wouldn't want it to exist in the first place. (laughs) 
And so that is why CBDCs are a tool for pure tyranny because they, as programmable money, allow the person in control to control the flow of resources over an entire economy. And if suddenly they don't like your politics, if suddenly they don't like your religion, if suddenly they don't like the ability for you to purchase certain items, suddenly they want you to purchase certain items, they can force anything to happen. And none of this requires a law. None of this requires a bill to be, to be proposed in Congress. None of this requires legislation. None of this requires Congress to form a new three-letter agency to make rules about something that they don't understand. None of this requires anybody who is voted into office to be concerned about losing power and getting voted out of office. There is no skin in the game. There is no uh, accountability. This is a group of unelected bureaucrats who have never, most of them have never worked a day in the public sector in, or the private sector, uh, actually creating value in their entire lives. And they are deciding the economic fate of the entire country. The central bank digital currency is the most dangerous thing that most economies will face within the next 10 years. It is a line in the sand that we cannot allow to take place. We cannot allow this line to be crossed because once you do, and once you have the slow rollout, it is a slippery, slippery slope, and it is very difficult to stop it from there. You run into the issue of, well, we already went this far. Why not just a little bit farther? All of the downsides of going a little bit farther are already here and only upsides if we take one more step. It's like the central bank already uses this with banks. So why not allow the government? It'll save on efficiency, save on tax dollars. It'll have all these benefits. So why not? It's not going to affect individuals. We're just rolling it out to the government. Little by little by little, they'll push a little bit farther and a little bit farther until they have totalitarian control over the entire system. That's the way these things work because every inch closer they get, the more potential power they have and the more power hungry people they attract. So that is how central bank digital currencies work. That is how they will emerge. And that is the game plan of the people who are pushing for them for the future. You can look up all of the white papers and all of the research papers and all the speeches that politicians and central bankers and uh, professors have made about central bank digital currencies for years. And this is where it all leads. And the ones who advocate the most for it are the ones who say, hey, this can be used for so much good. This can be used to uh, uh, be more, uh, be a more efficient way of distributing resources to the people who need it most. This is a way to uh, allow, uh, you know, to stop bad things from happening in the economy, to allow more of a scalpel-like approach to uh, saving the economy and fine-tuning the dials on the economy versus the interest rates and balance sheet approach, which is more like a sledgehammer that central banks use today. And so they'll tout all the benefits, but when you read between the lines and you boil it down to, okay, well, what does that mean they're actually doing? 
Well, that means that they're actually controlling all transactions. And again, I'm going to say this because it matters so much. Whether or not, even at first, whether or not they use that power to all of its, you know, the the full extent, which they because they probably won't at the beginning. That's that's a fact. Um, there, it does not matter. What matters is the potential that it could be used for that down the road. Thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of Financial Heresy. I will see you next week. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.